This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. There's an argument to be made that they could actually make more money with the 50-50 revenue split. But the problem with this screening is that when you go with a 50-50 revenue split, God forbid that a second wave comes and hits and wipes out the playoffs, right? God forbid it hits, period. But if it wipes out the playoffs, that's a billion to a billion and a half dollars right there that just gets sliced off the books. And if you have a 50-50 revenue split and you lose a billion and a half dollars, that's why MLB is doing this to mitigate the risk of the potential for there to be no playoff. Well, I thought we were already living in a strange time. That's Jeff Hassan from ESPN talking about Major League Baseball, and obviously it's in their hands, and it depends who you listen to. Uh, I think it's worth a story. I'm probably not going to do it today. I want to research it a little bit more, uh, but I, I've asked myself this question. Scott Boris came out and basically said, screw the owners. Uh, I wouldn't do this if I was the players, right? Uh, did you see that? It, it, and I might be over the top with this. I'm just telling you. That's why I want to do a little bit more homework on it. Maybe we talk a little more about it tomorrow or, or down the road. Yeah. Is Scott Boris has Scott Boris helped ruin baseball with the amount of contracts and and the, the leverage and almost the holding of hostage of of teams because he has so many different moving parts. And and I'm not saying this this alone isolated, but this is not a good message either. I think this is one time like I saw Teixeira, former Yankee player, obviously a Ranger player. Yeah. Uh, he was on Golik and Wingo this morning. He's like, listen, this is not a great deal for players, but we have to all admit that this is a one-off thing and it's unusual. Someone we're gonna have to come to some some agreement here and know that it's not in the best interest of everybody. But we're gonna play some baseball and it might be the best interest of the sport. Uh, Boris doesn't care about that. Boris cares about what's in the best interest of players. And to a degree, is, is that okay? That's why I'm not, I'm not really ready to dive into it. I want to maybe, but I thought about it, uh, early this afternoon, uh, with all this Major League Baseball talk going on. Let me ask you this. What's been more detrimental to baseball? The New York Yankees and how they used to go about paying all their players? Or Scott Boris? Yeah, and I think you could have put it in, um, in the conversation of, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, those kind of teams. I, I don't think the Yankees are alone. I, I I think they are the poster child for it, mm-hmm. uh, paying for the championship. But the Red Sox have followed suit, and heck, the Texas Rangers tried for a little bit there when the yeah. back in the A Rod days. Do you think the Yankees were kind of the first ones? That, yeah, yeah, to I do think it, they're right? they're definitely the poster child. Yeah. Uh, what's worse? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's more to blame. I guess if you're the organization and you're willing to pay it, yeah, I'd probably put they set this in motion years ago. You know, those teams set it in motion. They unbalanced the entire league because of it. And it got me thinking a little bit watching some of this. This very, first of all, from a baseball standpoint, a lot of this stuff is so money related that it's very inside baseball. From a basketball standpoint, what's going on with the CBA and all this other stuff is very inside basketball. I I don't think it, it... from a layman's terms standpoint, it doesn't equate very well in, in this kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. I think you really got to be a fan of it and dive into it and read up on it. it it's somewhat fascinating, but I think it's hard to discuss um, because there's so many moving parts and it's all about the money as of, of right now. But I, I thought about this watching. I think I was watching Scott Van Pelt with Passan and, and Woj from the NBA last night. I'm like, are we about to see a change in sports where they rely so much 
on fans, 40% of the game, 50% of the game, revenue from NBA, Major League Baseball relies on concessions and buying stuff and buying tickets from the fans. Well, in return, we have seen these egregious looking salaries in, in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get a guy that's averaging, like I, I always say, right? How many guys are averaging 16 points a game? Well, that guy's getting about $14 million a year to play the game. Now, there are less players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're getting huge, huge, huge guaranteed contracts. Mm-hmm. And so are we about to see, because of this pandemic, potentially, and maybe it doesn't happen overnight, but maybe it's it's something we talk about 10 years from now that started a new CBA or discussions about it, that these teams, these leagues, organizations in general become less reliant on tickets because who knows what happens. It's an un... Uh, it's it's unpredictable, yeah. especially in times like this. Yep. And also, just in general, sa- they're not as willing to pay salaries like they have been. Um, and it, it all depends on the piece of the pie. Yeah. But my point being, this could be the starting point of the piece of the pie dwindling. The mm-hmm. pie is dwindling. The pizza is not as big yeah. because of this year. But I, that will also stretch Austin into next year. And it could even trickle into the year after, depending on how this thing plays out. We know Nothing in terms of how this all plays out, how long it goes. So, and it might be just different sports organizations. Maybe the NBA takes a worse hit than the NFL or than Major League Baseball. Who knows? But I wonder, and I've wondered this from the get-go, when sports hit the pause button, you wonder what the ramifications will be on the other side. And sometimes the other side takes three to five to ten years to quite figure out the exact ramifications. Yeah. It's an interesting point, you know, and... First, let's talk about baseball, right? Because there's no salary cap in baseball. Players can make whatever they no. want to make. Okay? And that's a little bit of an issue so right there's an now. Issue. Yeah. It's a big issue right now. <clears throat> Do I agree with you in saying that after this year, depending on how the future looks, would these contracts get smaller? I could come with you on that. But a part of me wants to say it's going to make baseball worse because let's be honest. You have your large market teams and you have your small market teams. Now, every once in a while, that small market team could pull the trigger on, on a big name and they bring them in and they're away. It's all good. That, that happens sometimes. Okay? And I think, like, you know, if you're a Brewers fan, like, you feel lucky that you got Christian Yelich for $200 million. Like, to me, that's a steal. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So, like, they should be throwing parades every single day from the fact that Christian Yelich only signed for $200 million. But my point is, if you start taking away those, you know, those salaries, those bigger salaries, if you start maybe lowering the pay structure a little bit, What's to stop those bigger teams like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, like the Dodgers from saying, whoa, man, it sucks that the market's kind of lower right now, but guess (laughs) what? We we have all this money here just burning a hole in our pocket. Come on over and play for us. Like That's what I'm afraid could actually happen. That's a great point, and and it's a fair point. Maybe to my – what I'm trying to say and what you just kind of said, the logic becomes we all work like the NFL now where there is a cap. You know, and and a lot of sports leagues do, and but Major League Baseball doesn't. Correct. And that could really cause a big issue here over the next couple of days, weeks, and how this thing plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the small market teams, I think I, I heard from Woj yesterday talking about the small market teams, because of their reliance on tickets, revenue, the 40% there, and they don't make it up with other TV deals or regional deals and those kind of things, uh, from an NBA standpoint, mm-hmm. those small market teams are really going to suffer over the next, maybe not this time around, but if it goes into next season. And so it's, it's just something we can't predict, but it'll be, it could change the landscape of some of these organizations to some degree. Just how much I think is the big question, uh, out there right now. So, uh, 
Interesting. And I do want to talk more about Boris. Boris is an interesting character in sports. Yeah. Really. Like, I mean, they should write books about the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's unbelievable how much he controls. Uh, a lot like, um, who do I always bring up when I talk Boris? A, a lot like, it, I'm, I'm not sure Jimmy Sexton is like Scott Boris like in terms of ballooning contracts, but the chess pieces being played like in college football and in the NFL, like Jimmy Sexton has a lot of these guys. He's mm-hmm. their agents. So every, like this guy goes here and this guy goes here and they, he knows what's going on weeks before it actually is done. Yeah. It, it's fascinating. Uh, those two guys are really interesting in their respective uh, jobs. So, I mean, yeah, I follow baseball. I think you follow more than I do, so maybe you got a better feeling of this. Like, what is the future going to look like here, though, Brent? Is it going to be like the owner with the most money, like the, the guy willing to spend the most money is going to be more successful? Or is every team going to take a hit? You know what I'm saying? Like, like for instance, if I'm like a, a baseball team, a small market team, I say, hey, Jeff Bezos, you want to come, you know, be an owner of whoever? And, like, you know, maybe you can just – Throw some money your way. Like, do you think that we're going to see, I guess, a monopoly now where, you know, like the guys with the biggest money are going to rule, or is it going to be every level is going to go down a little bit and they're going to be more of a small market kind well, of Keep feel? in mind, in those sports, there's a revenue share. So yeah. you're still giving some. And then in Major League Baseball, there's a luxury tax. So sure. they do have a way of suppressing that a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. of not getting it out of control. Uh, but the big reason I think they don't have a salary cap is that the Major League Baseball union is unbelievably strong. Yeah. And 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 they might be too strong right now. That's my point. They might be in this situation. They it's, might be it's too hard to strong. agree with them what's going on right now. They're right? not going they're going to look like the bad guy in this potentially. Yeah. They might not be totally wrong from a principle standpoint. But in this situation, principle it might even go out the window because of the situation we're all in mm-hmm. and baseball's in and sports is in. Uh, and, and I'm not saying they have no points and no validity to their points, but they will look like the bad guy here. It will be the players that will most likely look at the bad guy because the, the owners are ready to go. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, does that make me a hypocrite, though? Right. Because a couple months ago, I, I sat here and said, you know, Yannick and Gakwa talking about money during this time. It's not that big of a deal to me. But then does that make me a hypocrite when I say, well, I think it's wrong of baseball players that demand their full contracts when, you know, the, the whole the whole landscape right now of, of, of jobs and people being on unemployment. Like, is it wrong for baseball players to demand their paychecks? Is it greedy of them to demand their full paychecks? I think, yeah. But then I'm also kind of hypocritical, right? Yeah. Because, like, I don't know if it's, a, if it's like a different job or something like that. I wouldn't really care that much. But since it's professional baseball and I know that they make so much money, it's like, well, can't you just, you know, can't you take a little bit of a cut? I'm not sure if that's right to think or not, Brent. Yeah, and and again, I think the fascinating point in that part of it is I think from a principal standpoint, you could still be right in Major League Baseball. Yes, they do have the right to earn that money. Yes, they should put their feet in the ground. But should they in this kind of situation? Hmm. This is such a different situation. Uh, I I think what we talk about with Jan and the principal and and NFL players is kind of like every year, right? I mean, it it wasn't specific to this situation. I think that's what makes it a little bit different with Major League Baseball. All right, I want to do this real quick. Uh, We're going to have John Gordon join us in a bit because uh, we're talking books today and authors and and also want to get your thoughts. What's your favorite book? Uh, Jump in on social media, uh, sports book related, of course, or maybe a favorite author. Uh, Do you like to read (laughs) is the question. Um, and you can share that with us at 904-362-9901 or, again, on all the social media channels. But I thought of something today. I saw something somewhere where, and I'm sorry, I can't even attribute it, where they said the Buffalo Bills have built great depth 
on their roster and might be one of the deepest teams and ready to make the run. Well, you believe the Buffalo Bills are in good shape to make a run. Yeah, I mean, I, after the last season, I call them the diet Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's hard not to like the Bills based on performance over the last couple of years, what McDermott's been able to do, how they've built the roster. His fingers crossed on Josh Allen. You can't convince me about Josh Allen yet, but it's trending in a, in a decent well, direction. And I'm going to say this one more time. Shouldn't they bring in Cam Newton? How how does that make the most sense if, if, if you're, you know, the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, because the styles are similar. Styles, all those things. Familiarity. Matt, right now, Matt Barkley's your backup. Yeah. Do you feel confident you got Jake Fromm? But, yeah, you know. Yeah, why aren't know. they being talked more about it in that know, regard? But, sorry, a little off topic. But, no, and, and by the way, the AFC East is now wide open because Tom Brady's gone. Correct. Right? Yeah. And that's what most people believe. And so the Buffalo Bills add up. But so it got me thinking. It's like, wait a minute, the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills came into Jacksonville in 2017 with Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy and guys like that, and they mm-hmm. lost a playoff game 10-3. to yep. But that was kind of the start. That was, And then what did they do? They said, eh, we're not happy with that. Correct. We're, we're going to go get our franchise quarterback. We're going to go get Josh Allen. And they did that. Mm-hmm. And the Jaguars in instead said, hey, we're pretty happy with our guy. he got to say AFC Championship game. We're going to reward him with a contract. Well, what did that do? It set this whole thing in motion. It set a rebuild of sorts and a build around your quarterback and a younger football team and obviously a deeper football team to some with Buffalo, 18-19. Now here we are in 20. Mm-hmm. So it took three years essentially to do that with a rookie quarterback. The Jags obviously went the opposite way. And there's been a lot of discussion. Every time somebody goes, right, uh, whether it's Jalen Ramsey or A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, oh, my gosh, there's nobody still there from the 2017 defense of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Isn't that the mantra? It's yeah. the mantra. Yeah. Well, I have always said a little bit, it's like, hey, folks, that was four seasons ago. I mean, that's the NFL. Turnover. I mean, turnover in the NFL happens. Uh, you don't just keep a team for six or seven or eight years. It's not that shocking that players have come in in and out. Mm-hmm. What you've got to be able to do is replenish. Now, the way that Jags have lost some of their players and, and the drama around it and, and what has gone on and, and the losing included, now that's a little different. Uh, I'm not saying this has been a smooth look. I, I think they would have liked to keep a lot of these guys if things had worked out. Yeah. But it, I, I, so I went to pro football reference, and I said, give me the 2017 Buffalo Bills roster. Hit me with it. And then we took the 2020 depth chart that you have right here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go down this real quick. Tyrod Taylor, gone. Replaced him with a draft pick. LaShawn McCoy, gone. Replaced him with Singletary. Uh, T.J. Yeldon was a free agent ad. And Zach Moss, they just drafted. Draft, Utah. draft, draft. Right? Utah, yep. uh, Patrick DeMarco's fullback, he's still there. Kelvin Benjamin, no longer there. Deontay Thompson, no longer there. Those were a couple of the receivers. Um, I can't read my own writing. John Brown, and they traded for Stephon Diggs. Correct. Right? Yep. Uh, Charles Clay, no longer there, and they drafted Dawson Knox, quarterback, uh, tight end out of Mississippi. I think, yeah, yep, Ole Miss, I believe. Um, Deion Dawkins, left tackle, still there, and he was a young guy in 17. Now he's a, you know, a, a, a veteran. They remind me what they did at, at center. They they don't have their center, right guard, or right tackle from that uh, 2017 team. I don't know why left guard wasn't on here, so I don't know what they did with the left guard. Uh, well, so, so the left guard, they have Quentin uh, Spain from Tennessee. Oh, is a free agent at? Yeah, Titan. Okay, and what have they done at the rest of the line? Center, right guard, right tackle. Okay. Uh, they drafted Cody Ford out of Oklahoma at right tackle. Correct. Um, and then they brought in a couple of free agent guys. Exactly. Yep. All right, so 
a combination of free agents and draft. They've remade their entire offense. And by the way, it wasn't like this. It, it, that's not apples to apples because the Jags defense was unbelievable mm-hmm. in 17. It's not like Buffalo's offense was unbelievable in, in 17. But I they remade close. the whole thing. Yep. I mean, only people that are still there, man, are Patrick DeMarco, a fullback, Deion Dawkins, who was a rookie at the time at left tackle, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. They've remade their entire offense since 2017. On defense, what's interesting here is the Jags secondary has been blown up from that year. Yeah. Gibson, Church, Aaron Colvin, uh, Ramsey, and Boye. Yeah. You know what, Buffalo? Buffalo's had the same one. Buffalo's got White, Trey White, Gaines, Hyde, and Poirier. Well, and they've added Josh Norman. I mean, they've only been better. And now they've yeah. added Norman. Yeah. So that's what they did. They kept their secondary. But the rest well, of their, their defense is gone, man, other than Jerry Hughes. And to be fair, you know, because the Buffalo Bills play a 3-4 defense. When McDermott came there in 2017, they switched it. Switched it to four three. So like there, that was a transition year for them. True. And they went to the playoffs. True. Right. But what does that tell you about the secondary? It doesn't matter what kind of defense you're playing. The secondary can always adjust, right? Like sometimes you have to go out and get your defensive tackles, depending on what you're playing. You have to get your linebackers, but the secondary can always be trusted. Yeah. Well, um, and so what have they done? That Shaq Lawson, Kyle Williams, Adolphus Washington, Lorenzo Alexander, Preston Brown, some of the linebackers in defensive line. Well, they just drafted Epinesa. They have Addison. They drafted Ed Oliver last year. Uh, Star Latulale came over from Carolina as a free agent. And uh, they've got a couple of uh, – they get your guy that you wanted from the Saints, a Klein, Klein. At, at linebacker. So it's just this blend, this remake of their entire roster. Mm-hmm. Now, again, Rick Dermott has his hands on it, but he went to the playoffs that year. And what they did is they remade their entire roster from that year, and here they are, the favorites probably to win the AFC East after 18, 19, and 20 under McDermott. And McDermott's done a nice job. And what they did is they went through some lumps with Josh Allen, Mm -hmm. and you didn't know if he was really going to be the guy. And they said, yeah, but we think he can be the guy. And now there's a little more hope that he is the guy. Uh, I'm still not, again, convinced, but – that's probably the one little X factor on this football team that has a deep football team, a young football team, and looks to be a pretty talented football team. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's more of a compliment to the coach that McDermott is or just, you know, their personnel. But like like we talked about, I mean, that 2017 year when, when the Buffalo Bills traveled the Jacksonville first time they're in the playoffs in however long, that was a transition year. Like, th- that wasn't even the, the fingerprint of a McDermott team, right? Like, he just kind of took what they had and they rolled with it. And then once, you know, they had success, he let it go. Like, he upgraded. You know, like, one could say, all right, well, Tyler Taylor, man, you took him in the playoffs. Like, you went to Jacksonville, you might have something there. No, man, you're gone. Josh Allen, come on in. You know, like, one can say, well, yeah, you, you want to play a 4-3 defense, but your 3-4 defense you had the first year, that was pretty good, man. You sure you want to do that? But he said, no, I'm going to do things my way. You guys are out of here. So it's telling that this coach had a vision, okay? He came in during a transitional period. He had success because of his techniques and his culture building. But then once that was gone, he kind of crafted his own image. So that goes to show you just what kind of coach McDermott is. And so uh, what? what's the point is what you're asking. Well, I think the point to me was that you can rebuild it. You can do this whole roster shuffle, and what I've said all along is you got to be right 65 or 70% of your, your moves. Correct. So the Jags have to hope they're right. They've cleaned up their cap, and I don't know if it will take until 2023, I'm sorry, 2022, to be the favorites in the AFC South. I think they'd like it to happen next year mm-hmm. where they can be a really like a big-time contender. 
But so much of that will depend on Minshew. Like, Minshew's the questionable guy. Josh Allen was their questionable guy, yet they continued to build it. Mm-hmm. DJ Chark, they add Chenault. You know, they, they've tried to beef up the tight end room a little bit. Uh, their offensive line has stayed pretty much, I want to say the same, because they added Norwell. Linder's the same. Cam Robinson off 17. Jawan Taylor, they've, so they've remade a little bit of their offensive line. Sure. Uh, Fournette is a carryover, but it won't be for long, it doesn't look like. And then defensively, we know the only carryovers are, are Avery Jones and Miles Jack. Yeah. And Jan, mm-hmm. right now. And so that has been a total remake on that side. I just thought the Bills were an interesting comparison of one that you can do it in almost in a sneaky way. Like the Bills sneakily have a have a good young football team, but they did it with the chance around the QB. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of teams take the chance around the QB, but that didn't look that good at the start. The Josh Allen thing. Yeah. You know, and. Again, it comes back to Minshew in that regard. They're going to take the chance around the QB. What I'm a little afraid of here is if Minshew doesn't work this year, well, then they go to the young quarterback, and that takes another couple of years. Like, you're not ready to compete right out of the gates, most likely. I mean, even look at some of the most recent really good young quarterbacks. It took Lamar Jackson two years. Mm-hmm. Basically, it took eh, Patrick Mahomes well, two years. The, the, but they had depth, though, right? They, they, had, they, they already had Smith, all that they other had Joe stuff. Flacco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but the yeah. Jags won't have that as much. No, point. I mean, if you draft a quarterback first round, he's coming and playing right away. There's, yeah. there's no excuse for that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting case study here. And to me, I take a couple, away, a couple things away from this. Number one, in terms of your sleeper pick, the Carolina Panthers, this kind of shows you that a guy can come in right away with culture and turn around, like, like a Matt Rule, right? Like, who's to say Matt Rule can't come in and make the Panthers go to the playoffs? I mean, it's, it's not out of their own possibility. But what it also shows me is that we always talk about personnel, and we always talk about scheme, and we always talk about, you know, well, they got to change this, they got to change this, they got to change this, this personnel. Well, McDermott goes to show you that, you know what? Like, he didn't get to do things his way his first year. Okay, but his style, his philosophy, and the way he commanded that locker room. Because keep in mind, I think that was the year Avante Davis kind of said, "I'm out of here." It might have been that right? year. Like that was the year he said, "Man, forget this. Like this is way too hard." Well, guess what? They got results. So anything that goes to show you what a great coach and a great culture can also do as well. Yeah, and I just think I think they've. Uh, I'm not ready to crown the Buffalo Bills as like the team to beat in the National Football League. I don't know if they're. We'll see. Uh, again, Josh Allen, to me, is still a bit of a wild card here. I'm just saying from where the Bills were before Absolutely. 2017 till now. Yeah. And, I, I, and it's been a sneaky I'd be happy build. to be a Bills fan. <laughs> you well, know? I think they are happy. Yeah. I think they're As they should be. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's been a sneaky build mm-hmm. in, in a way. And it just got me thinking about, hey, the Jags can do this in a sneaky way as well. Yeah. Nobody believes Minshew's the guy. Nobody believes Josh Allen was the guy. And the more he played, the more he, people... Started to say, wait a minute now, guys made some plays. Yeah. Uh, nobody really knew that this team had this kind of depth as it was being put in place the last two years in the draft and some free agents. They hit on a lot of them yeah. so far. Let- and it comes, again, I, I've said this from day one. The Jags can do this, but they've got to hit on 65 to 70% of their decisions. They have to be able to do that. We'll find out if they are. Let me ask you this real quick. What was the Buffalo Bills identity back in 2017? Defense. And uh, I would say probably defense and, you know, smash mouth. Running, running the ball, ball. McCoy, and they had the fullback, obviously. What, yeah. what was our identity last year? I, I would argue the same thing. Yeah, I think okay. it was. Yeah. Uh, so this is yeah. my point. Where 
with the Buffalo Bills, you always know what you're going to get. You're going to get a good defensive team that likes to run the ball, and every once in a while you pass the ball. Yeah. The Jacksonville Jaguars, what's been their identity lately, man? They've been all over the place, right? They tried to do one thing, didn't work. Try to play great defense, then you're like one of the worst defenses in the league. So through all this chaos the Buffalo Bills endured, they kept the same identity. The Jacksonville Jaguars cannot say the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it'll be interesting to keep following these two teams. It's an interesting parallel from 17 to 20 with the Bills and the Jaguars. When we come back, a guy that has talked to a lot of organizations, college teams over the years, inspirational, motivational speaking, and positive thinking. Are you ready for a little sunshine and rainbows? Not just from me. John Gordon joins us on a little book day here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. No complaining rule. One of my favorites. It's next on ESPN 690. Sunshine and rainbows. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're celebrating local sports during this pandemic, and we will continue to do so from different sports teams, college teams in town. And uh, it's really been a lot of fun and, and give some love to some teams uh, sometimes that probably don't get enough of it. But we've also had some twists. We've had the Bold City Brigade uh, Day, and today we're doing a, a book day. It's a bookathon, if you will, right here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, we have a couple guests lined up over the next uh, 90 minutes of the show, and that includes our guest right now. That is John Gordon. I uh, hope you've heard of him before. I'm sure you have, and, and hopefully you've read some of his stuff. He's written 20 books now, uh, mostly about positive thinking, but some fantastic messages. John, I'm going down some of the books. I, I think I've got No Complaining Rule, The Energy Bus, The Carpenter. Uh, I've got three of the 20. I've got to do a lot more reading, man. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Brett. i got to get you some more books. <laughs> Hope you and your family are doing well. I've, I've, you know, you are a guy that loves to share positive messages. If you follow John on, on Twitter, uh, he's a good follow. You speak uh, to teams, and I'm sure businesses as well, but we're a sports show, so I'll keep it with teams. Uh, Clemson has been a notable one, and obviously they've had a ton of success over uh, with Dabo Swinney. But let me take you outside of that realm for a moment. How important right now in the last two months in this pandemic for mental health is positive thinking? It is everything because we are going through so much change. We're dealing with challenges right now. And a lot of people are getting discouraged. I'm hearing from a lot of people that are really struggling. And when I speak to teams, I worked with UCLA the other day, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I've worked with a lot of different teams. A lot of the guys are, are really going through a tough time. So, this is important. we got to feed ourselves with positivity so that way we can feed others. And if you don't have it, you can't share it. So it really is a battle of our mind right now. And a lot of it is fear, discouragement, doubt, uncertainty. And so we got to fill it up with trust, faith, optimism, belief. And it's something I, I'm experiencing myself. You know, I'm, I'm a speaker, right? I'm a writer. 100% of my speaking business is now gone. And I was starting the year off the best year I've ever had. So you can't focus on what this year would have been. You have to focus on creating what it will be, and you got to focus on now. John Gordon with us here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. He's been a friend of us on the TV side of things with Action Sports Shacks in the past. Uh, he's a 904 guy. Uh, John Gordon does a fantastic job and, and speaks to so many teams. Let me ask you this. When you speak to teams... And, and you say you've you've met with them. What does that mean? What what do you do when you go to an organization, whether it's in Jacksonville, the Minnesota Timberwolves, anywhere else? Well, now it means zooming with them. But in the past, <laughs> in, in, in the past, it meant actually going to their training camp, spring training. My last team I worked with in person was the Texas Rangers. 
I was there during spring training, speaking to the team. I gave him a talk on grit, what, what really drives grit and what drives you. We had a great discussion afterwards. So it's a talk, discussion. Coaches will give all the players my book. And then after that, we'll just keep in touch. Work with the Rams the last three years, the Miami Heat the last few years. And so usually I just come in, I speak. But like with Clemson, I'll come back another time during the season and often keep in touch with the coaching staff. John Austin Lane here, man. It's great to hear from you. You Actually, I believe you spoke to one of my teams. I played for the Jaguars. This would have been back in like 2012, 2013. So it's great to hear from you again. Hopefully Austin stood up straight and listened. Oh, absolutely, man. Without a doubt. Come on now, Brent. But, uh, John, so the first question for you, though, man, is you said it yourself. I mean, this is supposed to be the biggest year of your life, you know, with speaking engagements and things like that. That falls through now with the landscape of COVID-19. So what have you been able to do to, to make up time? Like, what have you done now with, with given the landscape? I mean, have you been doing a lot of writing now? Or like, what's, I guess basically what I'm trying to say is how have you occupied your time? That's a great question. I'm, I'm taking two walks a day. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta stay sane. I'm actually working on my hoop game. I got a hoop court in my, in my front yard, so I'm actually <laughs> playing basketball every day by myself, but I'm getting, actually getting better. And then I'm, I'm doing some writing, and I've been doing literally like four or five Zooms a day with different groups, different schools, organizations, you name it. I mean, it's been really exhausting in many ways, much more than, than doing it in person, because I've been doing so many. So I, I've been really, you know, staying busy doing that. And I have two new books coming out, one at the end of June and one in, in August, September. So I've been finalizing those as well. We have a virtual training. So we moved our leadership training that we were doing in a, in a physical form. We're now doing it virtually. And so that actually happens tomorrow and the next day. So we've been working on that. Like I, I tell people right now, you have to survive. You have to advance, like March Madness, right? We came out of March and it was a lot of madness. Then you have to adapt. You have to innovate. We're having to adapt as a, as a company, as an organization, and then you have to thrive on the other side of that. But if we don't, if we don't go through the discomfort now, if we don't grow through that discomfort, we're not going to thrive on the other side of it. So I'm looking for ways to adapt and grow, and, and I'm just trying to stay positive every day. My mindset is win today, because if I start thinking about too much into the future and I start worrying about the future, I'm done. I'm all negative. My focus is can I win today, win the moment. If I do that every day, if I win each day. We will win the future. John, one of the biggest things that I took away when you came uh, and, and spoke with us was the power of communication. See, Brent, I was actually paying attention when he's talking. All right? I, I appreciate it. I wasn't that. slouching in my seat. I wasn't falling asleep. I was actually paying attention. And it was the power of communication. All right, now, once again, like that was, that was like six, seven years ago. Okay, so now let's fast forward to the current professional athlete. How much has communication changed since when you talked to us until now, and how much have you had to tailor you know, your speeches and things like that to try to get to the new modern era athlete? I think when you're in front of them, it's, it's the same thing. We all need to communicate. We need to connect. And when we talked about it that day, we talked about you have to communicate and connect in order to commit. You'll never have a committed team without a connected team. Mm -hmm. So now more than ever, we have to help these teams be connected and committed. So I just, I just zoomed with Ole Miss, for instance. And Ole Miss is now breaking their teams up into groups, into small groups, where they're going to stay connected into small groups to be a more connected team. And that was something that just came up from, from the, thing we did, the session we did yesterday. So, so it's really getting them to communicate. We have to actually be intentional about it. It's not going to happen. So you have to make sure they're doing it. You have to foster it. You have to weave it into the program. And so now more than ever, it's essential to create team-building exercises. I love bringing teams together, and they go through their hero, their hardship, their highlights. So what's your, who's your hero? Tell us about a hardship you faced that made you who you are today. 
and tell us about a highlight in your life. When teams do that, they get so much closer, so much more connected. I did with Auburn Golf, actually, and uh, they went to the SEC champion, won the SEC championship that year we did. It was, it was very powerful. I was, it's, I was interested in that uh, when we were going to have you on. How many rings do you have? How many do you claim? Did they give you one? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't really focus on the ring, so I don't think – I mean, maybe a few. I, I don't really get rings from them. I just get, thanks for helping us, John. So I, <laughs> Clemson, that's Clemson is the most notable, though, right, John? I mean, maybe not the most notable, but I think at least most recently. Oh, yeah. You've worked with Dabble Swinney a bunch, and obviously they have fostered a culture there has been – remarkable john gordon with us a local author his latest book stay positive and a great time to be um fostering that idea but dabble swinney is a positive guy and and uh, he is different and they've been able to do it at clemson but you've worked with those guys for a long time haven't you eight years now so i went there wow. in 2012 they used training camp my book in 2011 that's what began the process and the relationship and been a huge part of my life just working with them and i was on the sidelines when they won the national championship the first one and it was it was probably one of the best moments of my life experiencing that seeing that come to fruition watching deshaun watson take him down the field and i have those relationships now you know for forever it's really been a, a great part of my life and to see a team accomplish something as you know is incredible i was just on with uh, nick Foles and, and chris marigos they have a podcast so i was just doing their podcast and we were talking about how I worked with the uh, the Eagles, but I worked with them a year a year or two before they won the championship. So I said I, I planted the seeds of greatness that took a few years to fulfill. Yeah, that's Laying a great the foundation. Absolutely, that's yeah. a great sense of pride I'm to be able about. to be able to see the results. And uh, you know, you mentioned is culture is it an overused word, underused word, and. I guess I would ask you, why does it work sometimes and not others? You know, Dabble Swinney, what people don't realize is it wasn't all great right away. I mean, they were patient. It took some time. I remember, I think it was the Orange Bowl when they had, I think it was over Ohio State. I always said that got them there. That's the one that said, okay, they're a little different now. That I think that was a turning point for them. And then you talk about their culture, and now it's obviously just built upon a lot of winning and winning, and it's worked. Well, here in Jacksonville, as you know, because you've worked with the Jaguars in the past, They've had a very hard time sustaining culture and winning culture, the right culture. How do you feel about that word, and, and what is the difference when it works and it doesn't? That's such a great, great point and a great comment to say because a lot of times it doesn't work. Every team today has a mission statement, but only the great ones have people who are on a mission. And so we talk about culture a lot, but not everyone creates a real culture. It's like Clemson. One of the players told me that, he chose Clemson because everyone talks about family, but here it really is a family. He said they love us here. He said, don't get me wrong, Dabo yells at me, but I know he's doing it because he wants me to be great and he cares about me and loves me. Like, that says everything right there. So a lot of times we talk about culture, but we don't live and breathe it every day. I remember Urban Meyer when they lost to Clemson. He said, you know, I guess not everyone was bought in. I was so surprised when I heard him say that. How could you say that you were surprised that everyone – that not everyone was bought in. Like, how, how can you not deal with that up front? That would never happen in a great culture. You make sure everyone is bought in. So I, I think it happens and it succeeds when the coach, the leadership, the team, everyone buys into it. They focus on it. They're relentlessly ingraining it into everything that they do, and then it comes alive. And I think the Jaguars have had so many moving parts. They haven't had consistent leadership over the years. They haven't really developed a, a set culture and then brought in the right leaders to live and breathe that culture. And then when they do, some of them leave. And so you don't really have the consistency of leadership to really – 
drive the culture into everything you do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. John, you said it yourself, man. You know, you, not only do you work with football, you work with a bunch of teams, a bunch of different sports. And when you talk to a team, I mean, do you tailor it towards that sport? Like, for instance, obviously football, you know, it's masculine, it's it's physical, and everyone's got to be on the same page. But then you have a sport like golf where, you know, it's a little more mental. So do you kind of tailor your speeches depending on the sport and depending on the athlete? Definitely. Every talk is customized, and it's really based on what they're going through, what challenges they're facing, and what they need to hear. But I've seen the same principles work, but we just have to definitely approach it and tailor it to, to the audience. You know, football players are different than baseball players, but they all really they really um, love the same material and the same principles, but they just have to apply it differently. John Gordon with us. Uh, you got to roll into a podcast here in a couple moments, but I'll let you go. Just a, a couple more quick ones, if you don't mind, uh, with the local author, John Gordon, uh, who has his latest book out, Stay Positive, and working on several others uh, for the summer and, and down the road. Uh, do people – sometimes this comes across, right? If you're positive, listen, I'm a Sunshine and Rainbows guy. I own the club here in Jacksonville, so I don't mind it. Uh, let me ask you this question first. Are people either positive or negative, and, and how does that change if you are negative? Yeah, we, we go ebb and flow. We go through the ebbs and flows of thought. So we are positive sometimes. We are negative. Some of us are more negative than others. But we are born with more of a positive set point. I naturally go towards the negative. I'm a pessimistic optimist. So people think I'm Mr. Positive, but I have to work really hard at being positive. So for me, it's not about seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. It's knowing that you have the power to overcome the thorns. This is, this is real optimism. This is real belief. Pessimists don't change the world. We know that. And naysayers say you can't do it. Complainers complain about problems. Critics write words, but they don't write the future. We know that throughout history, it's the positive leaders, the believers, the dreamers, and the great teams that accomplish amazing things. So to me, you have to be positive if you want to be successful. All right. And the second part of that question is you go to all these places, and let's just take football players. Let's take whether it's the NFL or, or big-time college athletes, and you've got all this uh, – Ego. <laughs> You've got big guys, tough guys, and you go tell them to be positive, and you give them a, a you know a way to do it here. How how hard is it to break through to for them to allow themselves to be vulnerable and kind of accept it? Is that is that a tough task? It it would seem like it would be one. I think it is, but I think now doing it for years. The Jaguars was the first talk I ever gave back when Jack Del Rio was here, and I think that was in two thousand and seven, <laughs> and that began my whole journey. So I have now talked to professional athletes for a while now. So I really know what they need to hear. So when I go in, you do have to break down the walls at first. You really have to make sure that they know you don't have an agenda. It's not about like you're trying to sell your books and it's not about you. It's really about how can I help you? So when I did a few teams last year, I actually did the Cleveland Browns and and the Chargers and I did um, the Rams and the Miami Dolphins. Right When I spoke to those teams, each one was different, but I did the power of a positive team and a few of them. I said, hey, this is the, these are the principles that make great teams great. If you want to have a great season, these are the key principles and practices. And you can actually look throughout the year and see, are these working? Are we following them? And if you are, you're going to have a great season. If not, you won't. And I love, the, I love that the Miami Dolphins had like a really strong finish because that team really did stay together. They didn't have a lot of talent, but Brian Flores really focused on the culture those principles, and you saw it play out at the end when they beat the Patriots. So you could see the principles come to life. 
at John Gordon 11 on Twitter, and I'm not going to ask him about this because he's got to go, but you recently sat down with Matthew McConaughey, uh, and also I think you've had a lot of comments recently on the last dance with Michael Jordan in terms of leadership and how it's done in different ways. I could spend an hour and a half with you, man. I appreciate you taking a few minutes before you get going to this next podcast. Tell everybody where they can get the book, though. It looks like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Stay Positive is the latest one. Any bookstore, johngordon.com, J-O-N, gordon.com is the, is the website, or any bookstore they can get the books. And as you said, Twitter and Instagram is J-O-N, gordon11. That Matthew McConaughey podcast was pretty cool. I, I mean, I, that came through working with Texas football, and I said, hey, you think Matthew would uh, be on my podcast? They said, well, ask. He said, yes. It was epic. <laughs> I got Mac Brown coming up. I just had Chip Kelly, Trent Dilfer. So I'm getting some great interviews right now, and, and I just had P.J. Fleck, which – was a great interview. So a lot of a lot of great insights from coaches that I'm able to really draw out of them about culture and leadership that they might not share elsewhere. So it's pretty cool. That's very cool. It, from a row the boat to when you got that McConaughey uh, interview, when you went home and told your wife, I hope you said, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> John Gordon, uh, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. I know you're tight on time, but um, we'll try to stay positive in these tough times uh, here with the pandemic. I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks, thanks a lot. You bet. Uh, cool. Thanks for having uh, John. Thanks having. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate having uh, John Gordon on. He's been a, a great friend over the years uh, of coming on our shows, whether it was on the TV side before. And uh, again, it's interesting. I, I'm a positive guy by nature. I really am. So it's yeah. interesting to hear him talk about the negative side. Pessimistic, optimist. I think is what he said. Correct. Uh, and and I like uh, a lot of the messaging. And I I do find it interesting though your sport when these guys because john's not alone there are a lot of guys that come in and, and how often does this happen where uh, motivational speakers mm-hmm. inspirational speakers come into the facility mm-hmm. is it is it like every couple of weeks is it once a season no. is it, how often so, is that it, it depends who the coaches really you know who we, believes in it right of course we had jack del rio and obviously del rio believed in it a lot you know and I'm reminded, I mean, I remember, obviously I remember John's, what he talked to us about, you know, in the power of communication. Um, and it's something I obviously preach with this new Jaguars team and the Jaguars team the past couple of years or so. Um, but the one that really got to me was Richard Collier. Okay. And he, he's been a friend of the show. He's been yep. on before and I've had Big this conversation Richard, with him, but you know, I mean, obviously people know his story and unfortunately, essentially, Got the game taken away from him. Yeah. Right? And um, he, he got shot. He got shot 14 times yeah. and uh, pretty much was ambushed in a yeah. vehicle and uh, paralyzed and yeah. lost his legs. And and so, so yes, yeah. had the game taken away from him. Exactly. But he's gone back and spoken to teams like yours. So I think this was my rookie year. And it was honestly the first speech that we ever had. I, I mean, from my standpoint, I think. Because we didn't really have a lot of them in Murray State either, you know. I mean, we, we had the occasional booster and things like that. But we didn't have, like, a lot of, you know, famous people. But, like, Richard Collier was the first NFL guy that came to talk to us. It was one of the very first days of camp. And his was, wasn't so much about, you know, the, the power of the team, the power of communication. It was just you, you need to cherish what you have right now because it's not going to last forever. You know, and you need to do everything in your power um, to try to make it right because you blink your eyes and all of a sudden it's taken away from you. And that stood with me a lot, not only because it was obviously a powerful message. The guy got the game taken away from him, not on his own terms, but also he's he's a former brother, right? Like he 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 was in the trenches. Yeah. You know, he is a football player, so he gets it. And I think any time that a speaker can come in and relate that much to you because that speaker's been there just like you have, um, it makes it so much more, you know, relatable. I mean, we just talked to John, and John said it. Like, it's all about finding that common ground. 
Well, when you're a former football player, man, that common ground's already built. So you, you just got to come in and freestyle, and you're good to go. But with some other speakers who come from different backgrounds, different you know upbringings, different jobs. It could be hard to find that common ground. Yeah, it's, it's well said. I, I don't want to leave that topic. I want to get a little bit more on it. Why does it happen? Do, is it needed? Do athletes, these 1% athletes, need it? Yeah. They need the motivation, the inspiration, the sometimes uh, remembering of why they're doing something or how they got to here. I, I, watching The Last Dance, I think, is a great example of this. Look how much motivation that Michael Jordan has to dig up to get himself going. Yeah. Right? Isn't that what like, one of your though. biggest takeaways? Yeah. Yes, it is self-motivation. Mm-hmm. So how much do athletes really need it? It's an interesting dynamic, I think, especially when you've got something that, that very few people can do and a lot of ego and, you said, masculinity involved, especially on the football side. Mm-hmm. We talk more about it. We have another guest coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.